morning and welcome to Skylark Church Sunday Online. It's so great to have you with us today. Whether you're joining us from our Skylark family in Chelmsford, from the Skylark International Network or from further afield, you are so welcome and we're glad to have you here. From next Sunday, this online gathering is going to look a little bit different as we relaunch with some fresh and extra components for you. We're really excited to say that the team have been working around the clock and from next Sunday we'll be able to enjoy some shared moments in worship together facilitated by the Skylark worship team. We'll also be able to connect with a variety of different faces and voices from across the life of the church and we really hope that this will enrich and enhance our time together on a Sunday morning. Our speaker today is Pete. And I know that he has a message that's close to his heart today. As we think about what it looks like to move out of lockdown and towards some kind of new normal, we find ourselves in this strange space where we're not yet physically gathered in the building, but we are definitely wanting to keep moving forward. And we believe that what Peter's going to share today is from the heart of God for us to help us navigate this better, but also to help us focus in on what truly matters, our relationships, loving God well, but also being in great relationship and friendship with those around us so that we can be sustained in what has been a very isolating and disconnected time for many of us. So I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for each person watching this morning. I thank you that you know them by name, that you love them, that you want to meet with them today. And that despite the fact that they're watching you on a screen, you are able to reach in to our hearts and into our lives and make a difference to us today. I pray that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive what you have for us. I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would grow us, that you would continue to build your church. We trust that you are at work, even in these uncertain times, and you are taking us from strength to strength, even when it doesn't feel like it. Have your way this morning, Lord. Amen. Hi, everyone. How you doing? I know I'm not on welcome, but I'm just sneaking in my own little hello. Um, I've got a really simple yet profound message for us today. Hopefully it's going to really make a difference to us as the next weeks, months and even years unfold. So let's go on a little journey together, shall we? And look at the way that Jesus did relationship. I mentioned in my soundbite this week that many of us are once again evaluating our lives during lockdown. We're auditing, aren't we, to see what really matters. And although this has been a difficult time and still is a difficult time, and we would never have chosen it. It's allowed us to stop like never before. Certainly in my lifetime, I've never had an opportunity like this to stop and take a long, hard look at things like how I invest my time. Things like whether or not I'm actually enjoying the way I've been living my life. Maybe you're asking that question. Has it been enjoyable up to March? Or has it been like a, a relentless treadmill that you've been unable to get off? <clears throat> We've answered questions like, what do I want to build into the new normal? And what do I definitely want to leave behind in the pre-COVID-19 world? These are great questions and it's really important that we don't just forget to ask them and forget to act on them. 
it's really important that these kinds of questions and reflections aren't just being asked by ourselves individually, but also corporately as a church. A big question that Nikki and I regularly have asked, and we continue to ask, particularly this time, is what is a church family beyond a Sunday gathering? It's a really important question, isn't it? You see, for years, Nikki and I have spoken the language of family when it comes to Skylark Church. We understand that we are a group of diverse individuals who love Jesus and love each other. We are doing a great job of that and that is being demonstrated so well throughout lockdown. We're not identical in our opinions. We're not identical in our understanding, even in our theology. But we've learned to disagree without being disagreeable. We've learned that just like in a normal family, there are much deeper ties that bind us together than our opinions on things, than our style and our way of doing things. We have learned to become a family. We've got a way to go, though, I believe. And hopefully today's message is going to help us to move to the next gear of relationship. Another big question to ask ourselves is this. What will hold us as a church? What are the ties that will bind us together through the coming months and years? And I believe it all boils down to relationship. That's what's going to hold us together. Relationship with Jesus, relationship with each other. You see, in this time where we are re-evaluating our lives, many of us have been re-evaluating our friendships. Have you been doing that during lockdown? Perhaps you've noticed that your church relationships are strong and they are healthy and they're life-giving. And we have heard testimony to that from some of you. Isn't that great news? Brilliant. Keep going. Keep having strong, healthy and life-giving relationships. That's incredible. But perhaps, like some other people, you've noticed that your relationships appear to be a mile wide, but not too deep. In other words, you've got loads of coffee bar acquaintances, shall we call them, but not too many deeper friendships. And lockdown has enabled us to see some of this stuff, perhaps for the first time, and perhaps it's been a bit of an eye-opener to you. Nikki, myself and the leadership team, we believe that it is time for stronger relationships, deeper, deliberate friendships. I use the word deliberate deliberately. My last message was called deliberate or drift. This is the time for us to be deliberate. You see, deep friendship, strong relationship, it doesn't come by osmosis. We can't just lie back and let it wash over us. It requires choice. It requires effort. It requires intentionality. And that's both when it comes to relationship with God and with each other. We know when it comes to our relationship with God, we have to choose it. And it requires effort and intentional behaviour. It's the same with each other. We need more than coffee bar acquaintances. Make no mistake though, the Church of Jesus Christ is on the move in the UK. Jesus is building his church and nothing can stop it. The fact that we're not gathering on a Sunday morning at the moment is not a sign of the church regressing or falling back, but a chance for a great awakening. We are seeing this church do amazing things for the community and for each other. We've taught for years about us all becoming the church, 
being the church, not just coming to it on a Sunday. And yes, we love the gathered expression of church. Hey, Nikki and I cannot wait until we can get back together on a Sunday morning. We love that time. But in the meantime, what are we going to do to strengthen our relationships? You see, we have a beautiful and incredible opportunity in front of us to deepen relationships, to strengthen the ties that bind, to take the family element of church to new heights, to new depths, to new places. But it's going to take effort. It's going to take intentionality. But it is going to be worth it. And ultimately, when we reunite on a Sunday morning, we will be in a much stronger place relationally and a much healthier place as disciples of Jesus than ever we were before lockdown. We are learning what church is all about beyond a Sunday. So how are we going to do it? Let's learn from Jesus. What a great place to go. Let's see how he did it and what we can learn from him. And I was going to call this part of the message relationship by numbers because it's really key how Jesus relates with different people according to the size of the group. You see, in the Gospels, we can see that Jesus had relationships on a number of levels. He spoke to the crowds, didn't he? Often using parables. And for example, the parable of the sower, Jesus had to deliver that parable from a boat such was the crowd size. There were so many of them. He had to get himself into a boat away from the shore so that that sort of became his stage to be able to present that parable. But he also spoke to individuals. He spoke to Mary, to Martha, to Lazarus, to blind Bartimaeus, the Samaritan woman, the rich young ruler, to Zacchaeus, many, many more. He spoke to the crowds and individuals, but also to different grouping sizes along the way. In Luke 10, he sent out 72 of his followers to people's homes to heal the sick and to tell people the good news of Jesus. The crowd, the 72. But I really want to focus today on two other groups. You probably know the ones I'm going to go to. The 12 and the 3. Looking at Jesus' interactions with those people and what we can learn from his model about our own relationships. Let's start with the 12. The 12 disciples of Jesus. Most people across the country will know that Jesus had these 12 disciples. These were his close team, his band of brothers, the guys who did life with him for three years and would ultimately have a huge part to play in the building and establishing of the early church. How did they do life together? They lived together. They ate together. They laughed, they cried, they joked, I'm sure. Jesus shared his deep thoughts and ideas with them. He taught them in this 12, often explaining his parables, like the parable of the sower we just mentioned. Once Jesus had explained it from the boat, he delivered his message. He then took the disciples aside and explained what he meant, that deeper level of teaching and understanding. Or like the rich young ruler, I mentioned him. When he turned and walk away, walked away saddened by his encounter and his interaction with Jesus, Jesus turned to his disciples and explained why he'd reacted like that. It was the disciples that Jesus spoke to about his mission and his upcoming death. Jesus empowered the 12 disciples in Matthew 10 to heal the sick and to drive out demons. He equipped them. He encouraged them. 
he strengthened them. You know, one of the things I think we don't often think about is the humanity of the relationship between Jesus and the Twelve. In a second, we're going to talk about the Last Supper, a really well-known meal that they had together. But they would have had meals together every day for three years. This band of brothers laughing, joking. Sometimes I think, you know, you know that the disciples, some of them like Peter, James and John, they could be a bit argumentative or a little bit um, inappropriate sometimes. Imagine, you know, they're just chatting around the table. Can you can you believe what happened today when we prayed for that guy and he was healed? The look on his face and they're all sort of laughing. And then like, and did you see the look on the Pharisee's face? And Jesus says, Peter, don't go there. Yeah, but it was so funny. And everyone's laughing and Jesus is saying, Peter... We're not into mockery. Let's not do that. But they, they just related together. They did life together. And, and if I'm doing Peter a disservice, I'm sorry about that. But I do think the, the humanity of the relationship can sometimes be lost in just the reading of the, the pages in the book. And so I just want us to bring that to life. That actually, this was an incredible place of eating, of sharing, of doing life together, of going deeper in understanding. And it's all shown beautifully in the story of the Last Supper in Luke 22. Let's have a look at that from verse 14. I'm going to dip in and out. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. That's verses 14 and 15. We'll stop there for a sec. The first thing to note is that they ate together. I love the fact that Jesus had so many meals with his friends. The fun, the conversation, the depth of relationship. Have you realised, have you noticed how eating with people brings a depth of relationship that you can't get standing at the coffee bar? I chat with lots and lots of people at the coffee bar and I have much fewer people around my dining table and I have been auditing that in my own life. And thinking I want that to change because I want that depth of relationship that comes from sharing meals together. That kind of relationship is hard to beat. Verse 17. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. Jumping back in at verse 24, a dispute also arose among them. Even at this table, they have a dispute as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Hey, if ever you think that you're not quite good enough for Jesus, here's another fine example that even at the Last Supper, the disciples are arguing about which of them is the most important. Jesus said to them, this first bit may sound a bit confusing. The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Here's the, re here's the really important bit. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Jesus showing them about servant leadership and it's not about who is going to be the greatest but which of them can be the greater servant of other people. All at that dinner table they ate together but Jesus also taught them 
and they had conversation together to get to the bottom of what he was saying, to wrestle with concepts and ideas. They gained greater understanding. The dynamic in the Twelve wasn't always easy. Far from it. But it was alive. It was vibrant. It was discipleship, Jesus style. Can I suggest today that we all need this? We would all benefit from being part of a Twelve. And that number is not the thing. The interactions are the thing. This is where life groups in the life of Skylark Church are so crucial. They are the fabric of the church. For those of you who don't know, life groups are smaller groups of people, around 12 in number, sometimes more, sometimes less, in the life of the church, who ordinarily gather in each other's homes. Currently, it's online or in socially distant ways. But our life groups do the kind of things that Jesus did with the 12. They do life together. They eat together. People in life groups have a chance to go deep in conversation to gain more understanding than you can just get from listening to the message on a Sunday. Life groups are a place to learn. They're a place to be real, to be loved and to offer love. Do you need that? Do you want to give that now? To be supported and to offer support. They are places to be encouraged to grow in your relationship with Jesus and in your leadership, and in whatever your gifting is. Jesus did address the crowds, but the real discipleship happened in the smaller group. We will one day gather again on a Sunday and hear a message together in church, but the real discipleship happens in smaller groups. We would love to see everybody in the church in a life group. And we have another five life groups starting in September. So please, over the month of August, think about it. See if you would like to join a life group and join one from the start of September. The form is on the Skylark Church website. It's under the Connect tab and there's a life group section. You can scan the QR code that will be on the screen right about now or even click on the link that's on the screen. Why don't you get yourself into a life group over the month of August? Because getting into that 12 is going to be really important. Okay, that's the 12 as modelled by Jesus. What about the three? I just want to stop for a second and talk about sports teams. I've been in a few in my life. And what you find is that the best teams, not all, but the best sports teams have good relationship with each other. At least the winning ones tend to. They get on well as a group. The goalkeeper, let's go for football. The goalkeeper, the defence, the midfield and the attack. They all work together. They've all got common goals and they have a good level of relationship. They eat together. They travel together. They do life together, a bit like the 12 we've spoken about. And yet, there are times when they need to split into smaller groups for more specific work. People need to train for the set pieces or the penalties. Goalkeepers need to work together. Central defenders need to work together to work out who would attack which ball, how that's going to work when they're defending corners. There, is, there are times when they have to split for different functions and different jobs. You see, Jesus had the 12, yes, but he also had an inner circle. He had Peter, James and John. Were these the perfect holy ones? Well, I've already alluded to the fact that they were not at all that. We know about Peter. 
We know that Peter is the guy who sometimes put his foot in his mouth, who denied Jesus ultimately, who took out a sword and chopped someone's ear off. And Jesus was saying, no, that's not it. Have I not taught you anything after all this time? We know what Peter's temperament was like. James and John, they were called the sons of thunder. And they are the guys who notoriously argue about being the greatest. No, they're not the perfect holy ones but they're, peop- they're men who really, really loved Jesus. We know how much Peter loved Jesus. John would be the man that Jesus would entrust his mother's care to as he hung on the cross. And James would be the first of the 12 disciples to be martyred in Acts chapter 12. These guys loved Jesus passionately. What was Jesus' relationship like with these three then? Let's see. In Luke chapter 8, the synagogue leader, Jairus, comes to Jesus, begging him to heal his daughter. Please come. She's at death's door. You've got to come, master. Jesus gets up and he goes towards Jairus' house. But on the way, he gets held up in an absolutely beautiful story of a lady who reaches out to grab hold of him because she needs to be healed from hemorrhaging. It's a fantastic story. But from Jairus's point of view, it's not a fantastic story because it delays Jesus enough for Jairus's daughter to pass away. When Jesus gets to Jairus's house, he's told, it's okay, she's, she's already died. We don't need to trouble you anymore. And what does Jesus do? Jesus takes the girl's parents and Peter, James and John into the girl's room and closes the door. An amazing miracle is performed. The girl gets up. She's alive. She was dead for sure, but now she is alive. And all is well in this story. How incredible for Peter, James and John to have been brought into the room. Wow, to see that Jesus had ultimate authority over death. The other nine disciples didn't see it. Once again, we're looking at the humanness of of meals, of joking, of laughing together. I wonder how the other nine felt that they hadn't got to see that. It's funny, actually, that Jesus tells all five of those people, don't tell anyone about this. Well, I'm telling you about it, so somebody couldn't keep their lips sealed, could they? Anyway, what else happened with these three? Jesus takes the same three up a mountain in the next chapter, and he is transfigured in front of them. Now, that's a word we don't use very often. But basically, Jesus suddenly shines really, really super brightly, like he's just been plugged in. His clothes become like lightning. And suddenly he's chatting with Moses and Elijah, heroes of the faith from hundreds of years before. Jesus takes Peter, James and John to the Transfiguration Mountain and to see the little girl raised back to life. Incredible things, such highs, such intimate times together. But they also get to experience the lows with Jesus. Matthew 26 picks up the story soon after the Last Supper that we read about earlier. Let's look at Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. This is Jesus' last moments before being captured. He takes the 12 with him and says, sit here. And then it says in verse 37, He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. That's James and John. 
and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is having such a tough, terrible time. Stay here and keep watch with me, he says to the three of them. They experienced the highs, but they also saw those lows. You know, their personal low in this situation is that when Jesus comes back, having poured his heart out to his father for an hour, he finds Peter, James and John asleep. And he's like, guys, couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? Please stay with me, pray. Jesus goes back. When he comes back, the disciples are asleep again. He goes back, he comes back. The disciples are asleep for a third time. And that's when he gets arrested. I wonder how Peter, James and John thought about how they had responded. If only they could have stayed awake for those three hours before Jesus got arrested. They, they experienced highs with Jesus, but they certainly experienced the lows. They had a closeness with Jesus that others didn't. They shared deep experiences. It was a place of support for Jesus and for the three. It was a place of vulnerability. We've spoken recently in Skylark Church about how we would love everyone to get into a three. Learning from Jesus, we want to be a place of sharing highs and lows of life with a three. We want these threes to be a place of support, a place of vulnerability, a place of sharing deep experiences. Yes, we want you all in life groups. We want you to do life with people, to eat, to learn, to grow in those settings. But we believe that there's a vulnerability, an accountability, an honesty that can come as we share life in even smaller contexts with a, a three. So over the summer, can I encourage you to get into a three with people that you can go deeper with? A group of three who will support you, who will pray for you and with you. A group of three who will be able to pick each other up during the hard times. A group of three who will be able to cheer each other on through the good times and the bad. If you'd like a little bit of help getting into a three, as some of you have mentioned to us, then please contact Eddie. Her email address is on the screen and she will assist you. For most of you, I, I feel you'd like to do that yourself. Why don't we spend August getting ourselves into twelves, into life groups and into threes, that intimate, vulnerable group who can support each other in the highs and lows of life. In this time of re-evaluation and auditing, our relationships really are going to be key. And as I said earlier, we have an incredible opportunity in front of us to deepen relationships, to strengthen the ties that bind. It's going to take effort, yes. It's going to take intentionality, yes. But it is going to be worth it. And ultimately, when we reunite on a Sunday morning, we will be in a much stronger place relationally and a much healthier place as disciples of Jesus. Thanks for listening. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your Bible. We thank you that it teaches us so much about you, Jesus. And Lord, we want to learn from you today. We want to learn from the way you did it with your 12, 
and with the free. Lord, help us to gather together in twelves, to do life together, to be encouraged, to journey together, to eat that sharing of meals, sharing of experience, to go deeper into the word, to get more understanding. Lord, we want to do that. And we just say amen to that today. We know it's going to take effort. We know it's going to take intentionality and choice. But if you're going to say amen with me at the end of this, then we are up for this, Lord. And also, we see the importance of a three. People we can be vulnerable with. People we can be accountable with, Lord. We want to be more like you, Jesus, and we need people to help us in our journey. So, Lord, would you put around us the the twos and threes who are going to support us, encourage us, lift us up, who will be able to do the same for when they're feeling down or when they're related, we can laugh with them. When they are down, we can cry with them and help them. Lord, we understand the concept of the twelve and the three and we say yes to it. We want to love each other better than we do. Lord, we apologise that we have had so many coffee acquaintances, many of us, but not enough deep relationships. And so, Lord, today we choose deep relationship with each other and most importantly, with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Pete. That was such a helpful message. I'm here to bring some updates as we look back over the week gone by, but also scan the horizon for what's ahead. We'll be launching our next bereavement course on the 11th of August, and it's going to be a six-week course held over Zoom. If you'd like to take part in the bereavement course, or perhaps you know somebody who has lost a loved one, particularly during these COVID times, there are so many of us who are grieving or who have lost people close to us. If you know somebody or if that's you and you'd like to process that grief in a safe space, then this could be for you. The sign-up details are coming up on the screen. Liz Jevons will be facilitating the course and we know that it's a really valuable tool. Take a look at this promo video which explains a little bit more about the course and what it can offer. The person that I lost was my mum, and my best friend, my soulmate. It dawns on you quite suddenly that life is never ever going to be the same again. Everybody else was getting on with their life and it felt like I wasn't and I wanted to shout at them. Do you know what's happened to me? Do you know I've lost my mum? The worst thing that people ever did to us is say, well, here's the pattern of bereavement and you must be at this stage. And you'd think, don't you dare tell me where I must be. Everyone does this differently. For years after, I was quite capable of bursting into tears. I told my friends and family they'd have to lump it. If I wanted to burst into tears, I would. Journeying with others is incredibly important. I recognise what a big step you've taken, and I hope that attending this course is going to prove really positive for you. My aim travelling with you through these weeks is to provide a place where it's safe for you to have a look at where you are to explore your feelings and just to be surrounded by people who understand where you are and what you are feeling. 
do get signed up for that bereavement course if you feel it's for you. This week we have been alive and active into our community as ever. We're thankful for a raft of new volunteers who have come on board to help the team distribute food boxes. And thanks to them, this week we have delivered 16 food boxes to households and families in our community. We've also continued to give supplies to the Women's Refuge this last week to support the invaluable work that they are already doing. And we have given out 18 prepaid shopping cards to ensure that families and individuals who need it the most have provisions for the coming week. We are so excited to be able to bless our city and our community in this way. And it's something that we can only see increasing over the summer period. We want to ensure that no child or no family goes hungry over the summer holidays. So we're going to continue working in partnership with food banks, supermarkets, and of course, in conjunction with other local churches across our city to help meet as much need as we can. We want to thank you for your generosity in helping us to make it happen. Tonight at 7pm we have our prayer and worship Zoom. It's a really great time for us to see each other's faces, to break out in smaller groups and pray for one another and encourage each other, to enjoy some corporate worship together led by Rachel Maddox, but also to pray about some of the things that are on God's heart for us as a church family. So if you can join us at 7 tonight, we'd love to see you there. Finally, this last week, we had some fantastic training as a core team from Ben Lindsay, author of We Need to Talk About Race. It was training on the area of diversity and inclusion. It was thought provoking, it was helpful, and it's just another step in a lifelong commitment that we are making as a church family to continue to dismantle racial injustice wherever we see it, both inside the church and beyond. Thank you, Ben, for all that you brought. It was invaluable. That's it from me. I will be joining you next week for our new improved Sunday online gathering. In the meantime, have a great rest of your day and I hope that you have a fantastic week ahead. See you next week. Mm -hmm.